been a blessing tonight to be with you, and thank you, Mike, and uh, your worship team for uh, leading us this evening in a wonderful night of worship. Now, here's what you have working for you. I can't see you, okay? So you can see me, but I can't see you, so if you fall asleep, don't worry. I would never call you out anyways, even if you did uh, fall asleep, uh, but I can't see you. So uh, sometimes if, uh, if you are blessed by anything and you want to, if you want to say amen or something, that'd be great. If not, uh, that's fine as well. I am so glad that you were here and uh, that you have set aside this evening uh, as a night to just really uh, prepare us for this uh, week of Christmas. I was talking uh, with one of the men before uh, before service, and uh, we don't necessarily do the, uh, the Christmas Eve service here uh, at Redwood, and one of the reasons is is because we love for you to spend that precious time with your family. And, uh, and so I hope that you do enjoy that. We will have a service at 11 o'clock on Christmas Day on Sunday, and it will be a condensed uh, service. But I hope that uh, if you are in town uh, to come and worship the Lord uh, with us. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but you are hardwired for hope. We do not simply just live by instinct. Every decision we make... Every choice, every response we have to the situations and relationships of our life is fueled by a motivation of hope. Our happiest moments are tied to having hope being fulfilled. Our saddest moments are about our hopes being dashed. We, as created beings of God, as image bearers of God, we indeed are always hoping. We're always attaching our hope of our heart to something. And tonight, I want to I give you hope. I want to I show you from Scripture how this time right now is indeed a time for hope. Hope is always in an object. It's always in some form of an expectation. We're always hoping in something and asking that something or that someone to deliver. That, my friend, is, is what hope is. We tend to look for hope, if we're honest, in all the wrong places. We look for hope where it cannot be found, and so we often are disappointed. We're frustrated. We are confused because we want things to give us a hope that they simply cannot give us. Isaiah 59 is a, is a brilliant hope passage because it is written in such a dark moment. This is one of the darkest moments in the history of the nation of Israel. Now before I describe this moment to you, I want to I ask you a few questions here this evening. When life is hard for you, where do you turn for hope? When, when life is difficult, when, when life is confusing, when you are dealing with the unexpected, when your story of your life is not turning out the way that you wanted it to, where do you run for hope? Where, where are you looking for rescue? Where do you run individually for comfort? Where do you run for security? Where do you run and hide. Where is your functional, where the rubber meets the road, every moment of your day, where does that hope reside for you? 
See, the children of Israel, they had been in captivity in Babylon, and they were now returning to Jerusalem, and it was in complete shambles. There were no walls to their city any longer. The temple that had been so beautifully erected and had been filled with the glory of God where they were worshiping is now in, been destroyed. The government infrastructure has been completely shattered. There were no enforceable set of laws when they returned. There, were no obvious, uh, there was no obvious leadership. There was no justice being, um, be, being met. There would have been violence in the streets. There was massive poverty. It was a fundamental breakdown of society. But into, the, into that darkness of, of what they were coming out of when they were coming out of Babylon comes this passage of hope. And it's found in Isaiah 59. And it's a, it's a beautiful chapter. We're not going to look at the entire chapter, but I would encourage you to go home and maybe, and maybe read this chapter at some time. If this Christmas passage is all about hope, and I tell you that it is, we need to define hope. And we're going to do that tonight. Let me start off by saying this. The doorway to hope is hopelessness. Now, that sounds contrary, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of contradictory. But the only way you will ever find true hope is to give up on all of the places where we are seeking that hope, where we are trying to, to, trying to find the, the answer uh, to our life. We've, we've got to give up on those. Our default is to find hope horizontally. Our default position is to find hope in the situations of our life and circumstances. Our default position is to find hope in the people in which God has placed in our life, in the locations of everyday life. How many times, just, just be honest, how many times have you ever thought in your mind, if I only had, and then you fill in the blank, and if, if, if I only had that, or if I only lived wherever that is, if I just had that, if I just knew that person, if I just lived there, listen, that, my friend, is trying to find your hope on a horizontal plane. We're not going to meet the person who is going to give us life. No one can give us the peace and security that deep down inside we are seeking. We are not going to get a job that is going to make life worth living. We're not going to own a possession that is going to give us that, 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 that happiness that we so desperately long for. We're not going to have an experience that truly fulfills there are a lot of experiences that bring, that bring great joy, but it's never truly fulfilling. It never fully satisfies you. How many Niner fans in here? Just, just give me a whoop, whoop. Okay, a couple of you, all right. Okay, a couple of you, Niner fans. Hey, they're doing great this year. But listen, there is actually not hope in that because even if they were to go on to win the Super Bowl, although, is it okay? I hope not. I'm an Eagles fan. Sorry. Boo. But listen, there's no eternal hope in that. The next year, we want more. That's this insatiable desire with experiences. Those are all horizontal places for hope. And because we cannot find true life-giving hope, we need to reach, hear me, a point of hopelessness. And so the doorway to this hope is actually hopelessness. 
But as we're trying to define what hope is like, let me say secondly, to be reliable, hope needs to fix what is broken. If it's indeed going to be proper hope, it's, it's got to fix what is broken. Hope must address the biggest, deepest, and darkest dilemma of our life. And Isaiah 59 tells us what is broken. Look at verse number one. It'll be up on the screen. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now, we do not read this directly in verse number one here, uh, but we know that Israel accused God of being absent during this time of trouble that they were going through as they were captives in, in Babylon. We can infer that they accused God of two different things. From, from this verse, we, we, we know that they at least accused him of being powerless to help them in their time of need and then being just kind of calloused in that he wouldn't hear them when they were crying out. So these are the, these are the accusations against the Lord. And Isaiah 59 documents the Lord's uh, responding to these charges through his prophet Isaiah. You and I, if we're not uh, careful, and I think if we're honest tonight, we're, we're a lot like Israel. When life is not working out according to our plan, when we are suffering in some, in some degree, it's very tempting, right, to bring the God of the universe into the courtroom of our thinking and to judge him based on what we think is right and what we think is wrong or what we should have or what we shouldn't have brought into our life. And so we question his faithfulness, his wisdom, and his love. That's what Israel was doing here. They were questioning the character of God. And you and I would like to say that we always trust in the Lord. We'd love to be able to say, man, there, there's never a season where I don't believe in the sovereignty of God, the, the, the power and the control of the Lord and, and the God of the universe. We'd love to say that we always worship God with, uh, for, for his character and how he treats us. Now, that may be true most of the time, but if we're honest, when the comfort and ease of life is interrupted... We begin to wonder if God is actually who he claims to be. So here is what is so dangerous with that. It's, it, it's what we would call doubt. You no longer seek help from someone that you do not trust. I want you to think about that. Would you tonight or this week leading up to Christmas, would you invest your money into a company where the CEO was so corrupt and was stealing other people's money? Well, the answer to that is, of course not. Would you seek out advice from a fraudulent doctor who had no medical training whatsoever? Would you trust your child to a babysitter that's been convicted of repeated crimes? So when you allow your heart to question God's goodness, even in subtle ways, you know what will naturally happen? We will begin to stop seeking him. We will begin to stop coming to him because we doubt his goodness. We, we doubt his wisdom. We doubt his care upon our life. And so that doubt will naturally lend itself to not following after the Lord. That's exactly what has happened with Israel. Israel thought that God was not strong enough to intervene. His hand, is, his hand is too short. And that he didn't love his children enough. His ear is dull 
to their cries. And he wasn't able to rescue them from this difficulty. So here is what Israel did not understand. That the grace of God will visit you in uncomfortable forms. Difficulty in your life, it's not a sign that God's hand is too short. It's not a sign that his ear is too dull and it cannot hear you. Rather, it is, hear me, a sign of his love. God is going to wrap his arms around you and bring you through difficulty to make you more like him. Even though we have been saved for eternity, for the Christian that has placed their faith in Christ, we have also still have sin inside of us. We still love ourselves more than we love our Lord at times. We still worship the creation instead of the creator sometimes, as Roman 1 tells us. We still serve our little kingdom instead of the grand, glorious kingdom of the God of the universe. So the Lord, he's willing to bring difficulty into your life and into my life to break that hold that sin has on my heart and on my life. In other words, uncomfortable grace is to work to free your heart to fully worship him, to fully find your hope vertically rather than on a horizontal plane in a person, situation, or a location. So this Christmas season, remember that the greatest expression of the love of God is found in the sending of his son. You do not need to question his love when difficulty comes. God literally sent his son to be born of a virgin, to be born in a manger, to literally walk this earth for 33 and a half years, to become his creation, to live amongst this fallen world. Why? So he could live the life that we were supposed to live and couldn't, and that ultimately he would die the death that belonged to us for our sins so that we could have eternal life. That right there, Christmas proves that God is for you. And that he desires to be close to you and have a wonderful relationship. So don't question it when difficulty comes. In fact, you should view difficulty as a sure sign of God's unending love for you. So God responds to the misplaced claim with an accusation for the people. It's honestly a brilliant diagnosis of us. Verse number two says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters perverseness. Verse 7, their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their paths crooked and know no peace. See, you and I think that our deepest problems in life are outside of us and not inside of us. We like to blame circumstances. We like to blame locations and relationships and people in our lives. We like to think that, that we're one of the good ones. You know, I'm, I'm, one of the, uh, I'm one of the good guys, and sure, we might kind of make a few mistakes here and there, but other people, they're the ones that have the issues, the other ones that, that are making my life so difficult. They are the problem. They're the ones that ultimately we ought to blame. But God says no. God says, number one, I'm not to blame. 
Others are not to blame. Let me tell you what the problem is. He's saying in Isaiah 59, he's like, no, 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 no. My hand isn't too short. No, no, no. My ear is not too, uh, too dull that it cannot hear the accusations that clearly you've made that God through the prophet Isaiah is answering. He said, actually, the problem, he's like, look in the mirror. He's like, it's you. Isn't that why people love to protest? And we've seen a lot of protests in America the last few years. You will never find someone in a protest carrying a sign that says, I am the problem with a sign pointing back down to themselves. It's always someone else. We love to point the finger and accuse someone else for our problems. This is what Israel did. They tried to blame God. They tried to blame their circumstances. But God was quick to describe the real problem, and that problem was their hearts. Because at the base of all of those things that we think are problems, what do you find? You find people. You and I cannot just blame other people. We cannot just blame our circumstances. Of course we will be sinned against. We will live under the harsh circumstances. But our biggest problem, it's actually our hearts. And the minute we sit under God's charge here in Isaiah 59, the minute that we realize what he is saying, it becomes a brilliant diagnosis of ourselves and of our hearts. We are the problem. We've taken God's beautiful, glorious, wisely created system, and we have made a mess out of it. That means we can't find hope by running to a new location. Because guess what we find there? Us. We can't run to a new situation because guess what we find in that new situation? Us. We cannot run to a new relationship because guess what we find in that new relationship? Us. We will never find hope that way. Only Christ can fix this problem. No horizontal hope can fix the diagnosis that God gives through the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter number 59. So what does God do? God promises to send his son as the vertical and the ultimate solution to find this hope. So hope, for it really to be reliable, it's got to fix what is broken. Hopelessness, it's the doorway to hope, acknowledging that, hey, it can't come this way. And then if it's really going to be reliable, it's got to fix what's broken. And the diagnosis is, is the heart is broken. We are the ones that are broken. This divine accusation is followed by a confession beginning in verse number nine of our text. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness doth not overtake us. We hope for light and behold obscurity or darkness and for brightness, but we walk in darkness. Listen to this. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as it is in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We all roar like bears. We moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Now what I just read for you is a description of people who have completely lost their way. It's a description of when someone has kind of turned off the lights on you. And you're trying, to, you're trying to find out where the light switch is. Have you ever, like maybe you've gotten up in the middle of the night and you're trying to be, you know, kind of gracious to the other people in the home and not make too much noise or not be too loud. And so you're kind of, you're kind of just walking along uh, the, the walls there and you're kind of feeling your way through because you got all that sleep in your eyes and, you know, you're not, you know, maybe you got to go in the middle of the night to get some cookies and milk or whatever it is you need in the middle of the night. 
And you've got to get there. And so you're just being, you're being delicate. That's kind of what's being described here. Someone's turned out the lights and you can't see. You, we, we've completely lost our way. That is, the, that is the picture. When you've lost your way, you were at a very significant moment of decision. You will either point the finger or you will make a confession. And the confession is actually what happens next here in this text, verse number 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Can I interpret that for you? God, we accept it. God, I, I accept it. I'm the problem. It's me. And once we get there, once you get there as an individual, once, once I get there as an individual, you are now in an utterly hopeless place where we come to the realization, no, it's me. It's not that person. It's not this horrendous situation that I'm going in. It's not this location. I can't just, I can't just pick up and move somewhere else. No, 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 no. When you come to the realization that it's me, just like they did here as Isaiah was giving them the diagnosis. When you get to the place where you say, I've got a big problem. It's deep. It's abiding in me. It's a problem that I cannot solve. Just like Israel, you and I need to abandon all of the false hopes. Biblically, it makes no sense to find hope in the people and in the places of this world. But to be honest with you, we do it all the time. So hope is the doorway to hopelessness. And if it's to be reliable, it's got to fix what's broken. And then let me tell you thirdly tonight, hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Because after the accusation here of Isaiah to, to the people here, and then you have that, that, that beautiful confession of basically saying, yep, yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm the problem. I'm the issue. The Lord reveals his plan. He reveals his plan of hope, and it's a plan of salvation. Verse 15, truth faileth, and he that departs from evil maketh himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness sustained him. Here is, here's what God is saying. God looks around, and he says there's no horizontal place for hope to be found. Everywhere I look, there's nowhere I can be found. Nowhere. No one is able to give you hope that you're seeking. No one. And in light of the disaster, and in the light of this rebellion, God did not turn his back on his children. He doesn't walk away and say, you know what? I've had it. You all, you all, you all have sinned enough. You all have lied enough. You all have cheated enough. You, you, you all have just, you have literally worshipped other gods and rebelled against me enough. I am done with you. That's often what we do. Our, our love is rather kind of connected to how we're treated. That's kind of how our world works. You know, if you're mean to me, I'm going to be mean back to you. But that's not how God is. God looks down upon this rebellious generation of, of Israelites, his people, and he does not forsake them. He doesn't walk away. Instead, he revealed his plan of redemption. He reveals his plan of hope, of salvation. God is saying, now that you are at the moment where you utterly have no hope, I'm going to send you hope. But this hope, it's not going to come in a situation. This hope is not going to come in a human person. 
another, another, uh, another relationship. It's not going to come in a, in a different location. It's going to be in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Hope is coming to you. These final verses are a prophecy of Christ on the cross, sent from heaven to earth, armed with justice and grace. It was on the cross where the justice of a holy God meets the grace of a loving, compassionate Savior. This grace and justice is meeting on the cross. Verse 16 of our text says, And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself as zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the islands he will repay repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing flood with the winds of the Lord drives. God was going to deal with evil. This passage makes it very clear that God is perfectly committed to justice. This should terrify us, but it also should comfort us. You would not want to live in a world where injustice was permitted to reign. See, sometimes we look out on the horizon of the world in which we live and we scratch our heads and we can say, how in the world can so-and-so get away with that? And we see injustices all the time. Isaiah 59 should help you and should help me, should comfort us that God indeed is for justice. There is going to come a day when that justice is meted out. We're not going to want to live in a world where this is allowed. But knowing that the king of the universe, he's committed to bringing this to justice. But Christ is not just armed with justice. Christ also comes armed with grace. Verse 20 says, And the Redeemer will come to Zion, and unto them in Jacob who turn from transgression, saith the Lord. To redeem means to buy something back by Christ's life by his death and the resurrection the righteousness of Christ he purchased it and what we get in return is his righteousness to our account can I show that to you in 2nd Corinthians 5 for our sake he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him You can now stand before a holy God as if you had never sinned, unafraid of his wrath, and have him wrap his arms of acceptance around you and invite you into a personal relationship with him. For the Christian, because of Christ, your sin no longer separates us from the God of heaven. Romans 8 verse number 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. My friends, that is the Christmas story. Oh, it's not from Luke 2, but it's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is about hope coming. That's why the angels sing the glorious song. That's why the wise men come to worship. That is why the shepherds were just blown away at the amazement of this child. Hope, hope had invaded the earth 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope had come. So this Christmas season, I want you to celebrate the true life-giving source of hope. And remember, hope is not found in a situation. Hope is not found in a human horizontal relationship. Hope is not found in a location. Hope is not found in a certain ideology. Hope is found in Christ. And he is a real person. And he came some 2,000 years ago. And that is what we are celebrating. Whether he was born in December or whether he was born some other month, that is besides the point. We as Christians, as a body of Christ, are going to worship and to celebrate the birth of our Savior. But not knowing everyone here, not knowing your life story, not knowing where your hopes are being dashed over and over and over again, maybe on a situation, maybe on a location that you're living or relationship you're in, can I this evening offer you the hope that is found in Christ? And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, He is the answer to what true hope is. He takes on our sin. That's that verse in 2 Corinthians 5. He takes on our sin and he takes it to the cross and he bears it for us and we in return get his righteousness. Do you know him? Do you know the person of hope? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't, tonight can be that night where you call upon the Lord and you ask him, to save you from your sins. That's exactly why he came. And then Christian, can I assure you not to look beyond the manger for your hope? It is indeed found in a person. And when we find our hope vertically, something beautiful happens horizontally. You'll find that God uses the good gifts of situations, of locations, and of relationships to bless you. When you stop seeking for that to be your answer and you surrender to the God of the universe that sent his son Jesus to reconcile you again, you find such joy in the people of your life, the places of your life. It's not just semantics. It literally is life-altering. When you find your hope and your sustenance in a person, and his name is Christ. So as we go into our Christmas week, and we are going to be surrounded by people, we're going to be surrounded by circumstances. Maybe you got a really busy week. Maybe you're going to have a chaotic home of a ton of people. I like those kinds of things, but it's not for everybody. Whatever your situation is, find your rest and your hope in the person of Christ. And I promise you, you'll be able to enjoy that time a little bit more. It's a unique, unique just blessing that God gives us that I'm kind of having a hard time putting into words. But God indeed does bless us with that. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Do you know the hope that is found in Christ? If you don't,
Tonight can be that night where you acknowledge, just as those that Isaiah was writing to, the children of Israel here, we can say, no, I'm, I'm the problem. It's the sin in my own heart. And then realize that that first Christmas was the, the birthing out of a story from eternity past of God wanting to rescue you from you, wanting to redeem you, to buy you back from what sin has done in your heart, and you trust what Christ has done for you. And that hope, that hope is given to you in him. And then Christian, what a time this is. It's a time of hope. It's a time of God saying, I love you so much. I'm so for you that I'm going to give you Jesus. Celebrate that in your heart for a moment.